listener exclusive. Hello and welcome to Two Guys, One Cup. I'm Charlie Clawson and this is our summer series called My Club in which we chat to well-known supporters about the clubs they love and sometimes hate. And my guest this week is Rana Hussein. She's a writer and a broadcaster. You might know her from the Outer Sanctum podcast. She's also an expert in diversity inclusion, having worked with the Richmond Football Club. And Rana, um, I need to confess, I stuffed this up <laughs> when I invited you on the podcast because I mainly follow you on Twitter. That's how I that's how I consume my Rana. And uh, I saw you tweet about Richmond so much this year that I just assumed you're a Tiger supporter. So I sent you a message saying, hey, do you want to come on the show? I'd love to hear you talk about the Tigers. And you said, yeah, that'd be great. So I thought everything's ready to go. And then I listened to the last episode of the AFLW Outer Sanctum where you talked about the demons. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? So for our audience, can you explain where your loyalties lie? Mm, well, this will be a long podcast, I think. <laughs> but you just had the classic um, experience that everyone has with me. You, this is what it's like to get to know me, which is that most people do know me as Tiger Rana. But oh, I don't even know how to explain this. My first AFL team, well, really my first AFL team was Essendon because I grew up in Essendon and my whole family go for Essendon. But I started following AFL really when I was about 12 years old and I adopted the Demons. And as a brown Muslim woman, young girl in growing up in the Western suburbs, I thought that felt most appropriate. <laughs> 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 um, I, could, I, could, I genuinely think it was rebellion, to be honest, yeah, right. um, initially. <laughs> Somewhere deep in my subconscious, I thought this will really piss my parents off. And so I've, I've gone for the Ds pretty much my whole life. And then um, about seven years ago, I started working at the Tigers. It was my first job in sport. And I timed my run really well at the Tigers. I started there. Didn't you just? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I reckon they're ready for me um, and the premiership. Yeah, how much credit do you take for the, the all dynasty? Of the all of the credit. <laughs> um, it was all me sitting up there in my little office. Um, yes, no. So I was there for five years and it's very hard to work at a club and for it to not become personal. And then to see them win three premierships, it sort of all seeps in. And I thought I would leave that love at the door and I haven't. It's sort of stayed with me now. So I have two memberships. I buy a Melbourne membership and a Richmond membership. But not only that, but you have been spoiled in terms of what those clubs have delivered <laughs> in the last six years. I mean, this is the thing. I can understand. Well, I can't really understand having two teams. I, I've tried to wrap my head around this since our Twitter exchange. But at least I can understand the idea of, well, this team's done nothing for me. I'm switching to this other team. And then that team, team wins like, you know, three out of four flags. But you've got both now. Like you must, your heart must be torn. It's like the ex that you left has got their act together and is like trying to woo you back. 
Oh, it's so complicated. Like two teams, <laughs> two teams is not for the faint-hearted. I have to say because it's so fraught. A lot of people, when they hear that I go for both, especially in the last few years, just immediately throw the word bandwagon at me. Mm. I have to say, I've spent my whole life being at a, you know, one tenth of the MCG field <laughs> for Melbourne Games. You know, every single loss. So. 2021 was very, very special. But yeah, it's it's complicated now as well. And I had this realisation this year with the Ds that expectation is awful. Like when you go and watch your team lose week after week, when they randomly win, it's amazing. And the footy is quite fun, actually. But when you expect that they're going to win and they don't, that is that's a killer. I, I would love that. to have that weight of expectation with the Saints. Like <laughs> I, know, I would, <laughs> I would like I dream of being let down, but having being let down, having seen a premiership because I think it's because this is the thing I've discussed with. We had Broden Kelly on, and you know, obviously, Will. The first year we started doing this podcast, the Bulldogs won their drought-breaking premiership, mm. and I'm always fascinated um, talking to people who have been through droughts like yourself and knowing just how much of a salve is that flag? Like, does it, I mean, how many years did you invest? Like 30 something years, you know, into football before you got that kind of reward? Like, does it, it must feel like it's, it's worth it, right? I mean, it was worth it. And it was amazing. And, you know, not to be kind of too serious about it, but my father-in-law who's passed away now had Huntington's disease. And so we would take him every weekend to the footy to watch the D's. And to do that, to invest, like not just a love of the game, but your life and your family's time. And, and for that to be kind of where your memories are, to to have that kind of come full circle is amazing. Mm. And then, yeah, the letdown, like it's always like, oh, what do you do now? And I have to say... You're the, you're the, you're the dog who caught the car. It's like I've been chasing this car <laughs> my whole life. Now I've got it. What do I do? Exactly. And then, you know, I've, I've definitely been spoilt from a footy perspective because I not only worked at Richmond at a, quite an amazing time, but like to see Dustin Martin up close, to see him do his thing up close, it's, that's, you know, who gets to do that? I feel pretty lucky. And so is it a case of... Um, you know, I know uh, Angus and Andrew Brayshaw's mum has the scarf, you know, with uh, both teams with, with the Dockers and the Ds on either side. Do you switch hats, you know, over the course of a weekend where it's like, okay, so the Ds are playing Friday night, I'm all about that, and then the Tigers are playing on a Sunday, so you switch? Or do you just stay fluid between the two? <laughs> I own it's all about fluidity, right? <laughs> That's the one world, baby. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think to be honest, like if I'm perfectly honest, I reckon as time goes by and more time, I have more time away from the tags. I think where my allegiances are is AFLM, the men's, I'm very much a D's supporter and AFLW, I'm very much a Tigers supporter. So the Demons won the AFLW Premiership this season and I, that was amazing and it was awesome. 
But I, I was kind of like, okay, I can't wait for the Tigers to win. Like, yeah, right. My heart just kind of went that way. So I feel like with the advent of AFLW, I've kind of settled into that. And I was there when the AFLW team started at Richmond. So it's very, very personal in that way for me. I think it's uh, this is the future of supporting what you are laying out for us right here, which makes sense. Like pick multiple teams across like male and female divisions and that way like you just you're hedging your bets a bit more because you know I, when I had Emma on um, she did my club Emma race a couple of years ago and she was talking I was saying about the the thing about AFLW is I'm just like beholden to St Kilda like I feel like until the Saints get a team I'm not going to have like as much of an interest because I need to get behind the red white and black but I wish I'd had that kind of wherewithal to go like, no, just here's your chance, Charlie. Like go for Brisbane <laughs> or Adelaide or one of the like the good teams. Well, it's funny because a lot of AFLW supporters did do that and the test has been now that all the teams are in, did they switch back? Did they go with their original footy team? And Emma Race is a great example. She was AFLW Blues through and through. Yeah. She's gone back to the Hawks. But you, <laughs> you sound shocked by that. You're the person I'm, who's like created, like you opened the door for this kind of fluidity. So. I know I'm, I'm chaos and like every true and true, like through and through AFL supporter absolutely hates me because I've just thrown the rule book out. Uh, but, you know, I think honestly, the, like seriously though, when you do work at a club, like it just, that's really hard to shake, I think. Like you just do get get to look under the hood a little bit, and and it seeps in. Like that, I found that really hard. I mean, I think it's. I often, you know, will read, uh, you know, online like fan chatter on on Big Footy or even on Twitter, and when like it, someone gets drafted to a club and it's revealed that that player barracked that team growing up, the supporters are always like, "Yes, like we've got a real one, an authentic <laughs> one," and I always just feel like I think they're a professional athlete first and a supporter second. Like that, they, they want to get drafted. Like they've they've decided to devote their entire youth to this pursuit. I'm, I, I look, I would love to think that just because Max King back for St Kilda <laughs> when he was younger, it gives him a little bit of extra impetus. But I'm also horrified that that would need to be a motivating factor for any of the players because it wasn't say about ninety percent of your list you don't barrack for them. I know. Imagine them sort of secretly going, "No, I'm going <laughs> to tank this game." Or, <laughs> yeah, because I've always um, barracked for the the, the kangaroo. <laughs> Yeah. I have to say, though, like as a um, supporter from multicultural background, as a woman and growing up in the era that I did the sort of 90s, 2000s, I've always felt like I was a wrong fan anyway. Like the way I did my fandom never felt quite right. I'm not good at, I mean, this is terrible for a footy podcast. I'm not great at the lingo. Like I don't, you know, I never kind of got how to have sport conversations despite the fact that I loved sport and I watched a lot of it and I went to so many games of football. Even still, even having worked in the industry for so long, I just never feel quite right as like a your typical fan. So I sort of feel quite a bit of licence to just play with that a little bit. Yeah. But it is like people find it really alarming and confusing, that's for sure. So like your 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 husband and, and your father-in-law as D supporter, is your husband a, a D supporter as well? Yeah, it was the first question I asked him when we met. Oh, right. <laughs> so, but when you started working for Richmond and did he notice like a shift happening in your affections? 
Not for him, yeah. but for, for the bees. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> One and the same. <laughs> yeah, I was saying, I'm starting not to see what I saw in here. Yeah, he totally did, especially in that Anzac Eve game where, like, that's just torture really because mm. that's D's tags um, and it tends to be, I mean, these days tends to be a pretty big game and he would just go, You've you've crossed over, haven't you? And there would there are just years when I reckon I did cross over, and it was I was totally going for the tags. So, but it's it's not for the faint-hearted, like I said. <laughs> well, we I would like to talk about the tigers a little bit. I know that you are uh, fluid, as we've discussed, <laughs> but um, <laughs> we've already had Broden come on and talk about the days. So I just wanted to get some uh, insights or opinions from you about the tiger season because it felt like a season that was it was going to get going at numerous points. Like it just sort of felt like, oh, maybe they're going to get it right. And then they never quite got it going. I actually went to the game because I live in the Northern Rivers. I went to the first final up at the Gabba and yeah. it was one of the most exciting, pulsating finals I've ever been to live. And I was sitting right behind the Richmond cheer squad. So like they made so much noise. Like they, they could have like, they, they, they could have, if you had like a sound meter, I reckon 90% of the noise was coming from like 10% of the ground just behind the goals. But it sort of felt like the way that that game finished in such controversial circumstances, it, to me it sort of felt like an appropriate end to the Tigers season because it was a season that never quite got going. Would you agree? Totally. It was just the seat, like could have been that season. They could have finished top four. There was that draw. I remember so clearly poor Noah Cumberland mm. playing on, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. But you can forgive then, him for that. Like, I mean, it's oh. just like you, you know there's not much time left and the crowd was so loud. Like I'm sure his teammates were screaming at him like, take a shot, take a shot to slow down. Oh, my God. But you just would have had the rush of blood. I would I would have burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's why I don't play sport. Um, the thing I loved about that moment, though, was that, like, immediately after it, it was Trent Cotchen that ran over to him, yeah. even though he wasn't really captain at the time, but you just, just you could still say he's clearly still kind of captain on field. I loved that so much. I mean, I loved the season for the Tigers in that so many people did write them off because they missed out on finals the year before. Dusty wasn't there. Dusty, the Dusty of it all. I mean, and and I think people were kind of like, all right, well, they're done now. The Tigers for me, even over the last few years, there's two ways you can um, tell their story. And if, you know, there's the real hope punk way where they're like the Dylan Panthers from Friday Night Lights and they just will, you know, the little engine that could, the scrappy team that makes it in the end and they almost got there this year. Or there's the really cynical SEN caller take, which is like they're good if dust is good and they're shit if he's not around. Like it's like depending on what mood you're in that day, you can go with any of those angles. But I, t- I tend to be quite hope punk about them and I think they've got the goods and I, I think really look out for them next year. Well, they've done so well at the trade table as well, bringing in Taranto and Hopper. I mean, Will and I used to joke like when the Tigers are at their sort of zenith and 
they just seem to be the most bonded team. And you probably would have had like an insight more than anyone into this. We used to say that they were the entourage of the AFL because they're all mates and everything always works out in the end. <laughs> like even in those like after, you know, 2018 when you're like, oh, well, they've dropped off, maybe they won't get back to it. And then the next, you know, 2019, 2020, they come with a rush and it all worked out and they seemed like that that bond and back when Jack Higgins used to play for them and you know he'd be telling jokes at like the three-quarter time huddle and stuff and it was just from an outsider's point of view it's like what are they doing down there like how have they got this formula so well cracked that these guys just seem to like love each other and love playing for each other absolutely I mean I think by the time I left, I thought if I hear the word connection one more time, I'm going to scream. <laughs> <laughs> like it was, it was, that was the thing. And I think you really saw it in that 2020 and then 2021, you saw the kind of stark difference and what it means for them because 2020 sort of unfolds as it did with COVID and they all freak out and then they get relocated to the hub and then they win a premiership and and, you know, a lot went down in the hub for all the clubs, really. I don't want to know what that was like. It's, it just seems um, gnarly. But for the Tigers, and and they say it now, you know, being in that place together, like what they really trade off is co- their connection with each other. Mm. You then come back to 2021, everyone's tired after the hub, but they're also suddenly disbanded. They've lost a few key people mm. and that they're destabilised. And that's not just a a player thing. The whole club operates like that. Everybody really thrives off being around each other. And look, you know, there's something to be said for that. There's also a bit of like, all right, get on with it, guys. It's not high school. Um, But, you know, that's what they trade off. And I think if they can recalibrate and get that back again, they'll be good to go. Is that led by Dimmer? Has he set the tone? Because I like see him in some interviews. Like he did an interview with 360 earlier, uh, sorry, towards the end of the year, just before the finals, which we just cut up and played so many clips from because it was hilarious. Now he got his dog sitting on his lap mid-interview. Like he was just so funny and – even I think Robbo or Jared commented on the fact that if we'd spoken to you four years earlier, like you would have been like laser focused and, but you seem so relaxed in the role, like your team's just about to play finals when a lot of people had, had written you off. Do you think that he steers a lot of that culture at the Tigers? I don't know. Dim is so interesting, isn't he? I don't, I mean, I've only, I know Dimmer 2017 onwards, so but I've heard stories about him in 2016 and, and, you know, what a horror year that was. I mean, when I started, everybody said, oh, get ready. Like the season's really hectic and there's a lot of, like there's a lot of shitty people around, especially if it's anything like our 2016 season. And then, of course, it was the drought-breaking 2017 season and I never really saw those lows. So I've only seen Dimmer in kind of that real up and about mode. And he does seem like the kind of guy, I mean, I I really feel like the Friday Night Lights reference is quite apt. I don't know if you ever watched that show. I'm aware of Friday Night Lights. (laughs) Okay. What was it? Uh, Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose? Can't lose, (laughs) yes. I mean, that was dimmer, right? You know, giving them 
T-shirt, symbolic gifts before every game, you know, has a oh, theme. Was, I didn't know that. So what, the, the, the players got gifts before every game? Yeah, he would, usually it was a T-shirt, but then some weeks it was like um, an album, like a record, that symbol, you know, of a song that symbolised. Like, really? He's way into symbolism. <laughs> way into symbolism. You know, they were climbing mountains. There were there was so many different metaphors going on. You know, one year they were Bohemian Rhapsody and, um, you know, Dusty was Freddie Mercury. And, like, there's it, it just <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> totally on. talking. We're talking about... <laughs> The MND, the, the ice slide, or are we talking about? No, it yeah, was right. like music, boxing, you know, talking about Muhammad Ali, um, just really kind of lent in in ways that I often thought was very cringy, but <laughs> seemed to work. Um, and so, yeah, like I think he was driving that. But I have to say the club did a lot of work around vulnerability and connection from, you know, people like Ben Crow, Shane McCurry. Um, you know, they had Brené Brown in a box at the footy. Like wow, the, the power of the <laughs> vulnerability. <laughs> you know, that's that tells you everything about the work that they were doing. Um, and I always contrast that with, you know, the Adelaide camp. Mm. Um, that season and the story of those two clubs is so fascinating to me, like the directions in which they both went and what that tells you about kind of modern leadership and modern sport and what actually works these days. It's remarkable to me. And so did they approach you about the role of diversity and inclusion? No, I <laughs> I was not in sport at all, but I was volunteering um, as a multicultural ambassador and I loved footy, but I didn't feel like, you know, my community was that into it. And if they were, they weren't really kind of part of the system. We were sort of all on the outside of it. Mm. Uh, And I really thought that if more people got along to the footy, because the footy, you know, I grew up post 9-11 and when I went to the footy, it was kind of the only place where I felt like most of the time I could just park all of that angst and you were just watching footy. And if I had a team scarf around my neck it didn't really matter what I looked like now I know that's really cliched and naff but that at the time that's sort of how it felt it was one of those places where you did just kind of no one wanted to talk to you about anything else but the footy so it was quite a relief and I I really felt the power of that uh, and I wanted more people to feel that but then after a while and seeing Adam Goods get booed relentlessly it kind of broke my heart and I thought I really want to protect this thing that's been actually quite safe for me Mm. uh, and I want it to be better for everybody else. And so I just sort of quit my job and beelined at the industry and said, look, whoever will take me, I'll do whatever job. I just know that if I'm in there, something will happen and I'll bring an experience, I'll shed light on an experience that I'm having that maybe might help. That was honestly as far as I'd thought about it. And but how would you initiate that dialogue? Like, I mean, is it is it like an email? Is it a phone call? Do you have a contact that you're able to kind of send out on representing you? Yeah, I had one contact really who worked at the AFL, Ali Fahua, um, and I actually... <laughs> 
I can remember it so clearly. I was at the Western Bulldogs grand final and he was running down the steps to get into the rooms after they'd won. And I had just been down there and realised I wasn't going to get in. Because <laughs> 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 I, I was just being cheeky. And so I was walking back up and I said, hey, mate, look, this is what I'm thinking. If you know of anything, just let me know. And he said, yeah, look, Richmond are looking for someone for a fan engagement and marketing role. I was a social worker. I had no idea, but I I said, yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) I'll work it out as I go. Um, And I turned up and and we chatted and they were like, yeah, come on board. And that's sort of where it all started for me. When I went to the, uh, my first giant men's giants game at giant stadium, it was funny. I went with Alex Williams, who's like a, he's a mad, you know, one of giants fan. And um, he was sort of determined to kind of like, you know, show me everything. So like we started in the outer, then we went to the members and we walked around the whole ground. And I was really impressed with not only just like how diverse the crowd was, like they really had done a push into kind of like Western Sydney, but how they were kind of making the game accessible in terms of like on the scoreboard explanations of the rules, (laughs) because, you know, as you would know, I've had like friends come out from overseas and I've taken them to a game and it is one of the hardest games (laughs) to explain, especially the deliberate rule. Like that one trips me up every time, like (laughs) trying to explain that, yes, we have a rule that's based on intent that, you know, a a court of law takes six months to establish and we get an umpire to to, 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 uh, make a decision within a split second. But I thought it was like, I thought, oh, this is actually makes the game better. Like it was, it, it was, it was different to how I'd experienced the game at other grounds. Because the crowd was also the other thing that struck me was they were way, way into it. A lot of the time, not really sure what they were screaming at or for, <laughs> but the enthusiasm was there, and then the kind of accessibility was there, and I was like, oh. Like, as someone who is, like, you know, from, um, like, an Anglo, like, white traditional, I guess, background in Australia, you just sort of take it for granted that this is the game and this is the people who go to it. But then it's like, of course, like, why don't we open this up and and, and make it accessible to more people? And and that will only ensure, like, uh, its future because I think it's the greatest game in the world and I want as many people as possible to be able to enjoy it. Uh, Totally. Couldn't agree more. And I think, I mean, that's what what stuck out to me when I went to my first game, which was a Friday night Western Bulldogs versus Melbourne game. And a friend of mine took me along with her family. And I was just struck by how electric it was. Like I grew up with cricket, right? Which is a very different crowd. And, and I love, I love cricket, but it's a totally different part of my brain. It's a totally different kind of demeanor I think I come to it with and I love test cricket really um so this to see like grown men (laughs) screaming their heads off was so foreign like my dad is a very sensible guy who would never do that and I just found that so releasing and wonderful and fell in love immediately because up until then I'd only really liked it because I thought Russell Robertson was hot (laughs) (laughs) Which is very embarrassing to admit um, now. But, you know, and then being there and seeing the actual game unfold and what that felt like was amazing and that's what I fell in love with and then kind of eventually understood the game and, and how it all works. And that's really my aim with the work that I do as well is that not only to bring people to the game and to sport but to just let them be the kind of fan they want to be as well. Because I think there's often 
a mold that you feel like you have to fit into to be a footy fan as well. And that whether you're a woman or whether you're queer or you come from a different background completely, it's like if you love the game, that's that's all that really matters at the end of the day. Yeah, I think there's sometimes there is this confusion where, you know, people talk about, well, what happens on the field? Like it's, you know, we didn't come here for politics. We just came here for the contest and the, and the game between people. And I, I understand that on a, on a basic level. But mm. for supporters, asking supporters to leave their, like, uh, uh, you know, cultural background or their sexuality or whatever at the door because you've got to come in and support in a certain way makes no sense because we are not in the contest. It's not about, you know, which one of us is faster or stronger or can kick more goals. It's about enjoying the sport in whatever way you want. And, you know, one of the things that I love about the AFL, you know, uh, is that it, it, it is a game that does feel kind of like inclusive in terms of like male-female split in the crowds and, you know, the the, the ages of people. And, and, you know, I think as you go around different stadiums in Australia, you also get like different a, a different feeling. Like if you see a game at the SCG, it's very different to seeing a game at, you know, Adelaide Oval. But I think that there is... That's still that step to go, which is yeah. No, this is a this should be a game that embraces that embraces everyone. What do you think is the is, is the biggest hurdle uh, to to getting to that point where the game feels like totally inclusive? I mean, I think the reality at the moment that we have is that the game is played by quite a diverse group of people, um, at least in the men's side of things. I think it's like 13% of players identify as being Indigenous. But we're not, that's not really translating into leadership of the game and, um, you know, the big people in suits in the fancy functions. Like it's just mm. we're not really seeing that yet. So I think when the game's governed by people who also play the game and, and kind of have that real face of Australia governing the game, I think that will feel like we're getting somewhere and I don't just mean race either or gender but I think class too like Mm. there's such a private school something at the AFL it's just so part of everything that happens in this league and I just love to see kind of more rural people and people from you know different classes as well being able to contribute uh, to the game and you know, all the different perspectives. And I think often people see people like me coming and think you're here to take something away. And I just want them to understand it's not about taking anything away, but it really is just about giving access to other people to enjoy it and not just in a kind of surface level way, but really feel like part of the fabric of the game itself. Well, I think it could just be like, the, one of the greatest features of this country, you know, like we are a sports mad nation. And if it was something that was more inclusive, that more people felt part of, like it's the jewel in the crown culturally, you know, my wife is not a sports fan at all. And like, it's taken a long time for her to understand my obsession with the saints, you know, <laughs> especially considering how bad they are. She's like, why don't you just pick another team? One that doesn't let you down constantly. <laughs> But I sort of have said to her, but it's more than that. It's the community aspect of it, you know, and it's the fact that there is a shorthand. Like you can be in any, you know, town in Australia and, you know, if there's a game on, you start chatting to the person next to you and suddenly you have a common language. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you want that to be more widespread? Why wouldn't you want that to be more to be more commonplace? Yeah, and I think 
back to the Tigers, you know, something that they always spoke about was regardless of what's happening on field, you want people to feel proud of the club. Because I was part of the community team, right? So I was often fielding a lot of requests from community and it would be things like my relative is in the hospital or someone's died and and we want to spread their ashes at Jack Dyer's statue. (laughs) That was, that would always, I'd, it would amaze me, or you know, people in their hardest moments, not picking up the phone to talk to a counsellor, or you know, calling local organisations, but calling a footy, an AFL club to say, "You're what matters to us right now. Can you do something for us?" And that always stuck with me. And every time, you know, I would get shitty about <laughs> the politics of it all or the systems of it all. That would always be what kind of reminded me, like, actually, this is a huge responsibility and people are connecting with with this in a way that they're not with anything else. So to maybe take it seriously, it just would blow my mind, the amount of requests like that we would get. And to finish up, uh, I'm going to let you make a prediction, not only on the uh, uh, Richmond men's team, but also the D's women's team for Ooh, next year. So okay. just so your two favourites. Um, <laughs> so as we spoke about before, that the, the Tigers have done really well at the trade table. Um, there is some sort of speculation about, you know, is Dusty past his prime? But I think that even like a – I'd take a 30% Dusty any day of the week over most 100% other players. But where do you see them finishing? This is the confusing two guys, one cup ranking system. We do top six, middle six or bottom six. Where do you see the Tigers <laughs> finishing in 2023? I think top six. But the caveat for me isn't just Dusty, but honestly, this might be too psychological. <laughs> this is how I come to football, by the way. I think about all of them as if they're like lying on, you know, Freud's couch. Um, <laughs> I, I think it hinges on like Cochin and Dusty. Not that anything's not good there, but what works so well is their partnership, I think, in 2017. If they can get their, you know, bromance on again, I think something will fire and he just needs a little bit of that magic back. So I think top six for me with, yeah, a firing Dusty. And what about the AFLW, the Ds for next year? Oh, (laughs) that hinges on what Daisy Pierce does I reckon, because Daisy Pierce potentially doesn't play, which will be a huge destabler and Karen Paxman maybe goes to another team, which is another big destabler. So I'm not so sure about the Ds as much as that kills me to say, because what a win oh my they God, had. Oh, to pick a third team? <laughs> is, this what, is this what your fluidity has led you to? Why not? Why stop it too? Just look, at the end of every Outer Sanctum podcast, we say go footy, and every time in our chat group I get needled about this, I just say, look, Go footy. You can't hate me for loving it too much. Um, Look, I think the Ds will be top four again next season in the W, but I'm not sure how much further beyond that they'll go. I think that's a great sentiment to finish on. Go footy. Uh, Rana, thank you so much for coming on. (laughs) Thanks for having me. We are two guys, one car. Listener.